this is Ray Brooks. Hey, this is Big Lou. That's double L-O-U. Hi, I'm Veronica Jackson. Hey, everybody, this is Adam Gusso. I'm Dietrich Farr. Hey there, folks, this is Donald Blum of the American Songster, slapping the death with Jack Dapper. Hi, this is Guy Davis. Hi, I'm Shamika Copeland. Hey, I'm Ben Turner of Piedmont Blues. I'm here with Valerie Turner. And we are bluesing with Lamont Jack Burley. Hi, I'm Larry Griffin, and I keep it locked and loaded on Jack Dapper Blues. Yes, yes, yes. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, blues people? yet another episode of the Jack Dapper Blues Podcast. I have a special guest, someone I met on social media based on all of the work she's been doing for quite some time. And, I, I, well, yeah, I, I hear that she appreciates my work, but I would like her to know that I appreciate hers as well. So let's give a Jack Dapper Blues welcome to Elizabeth Lynn Kilrain. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, so let's jump right into it. Before we get into your personal history in blues, blues culture, let's talk about your programming project, Blues Dance. Yes, I have a organization here in San Diego called uh, Blue Note San Diego, and our focus is teaching um, your, well, I mean, blues dance <clears throat> is kind of a convenient umbrella term. You know, as with a lot of these things, they, they get named after people have been doing them for a while. Right. And so um, we really wanted to explore the dances, but we really wanted to explore the dances as part of Black American culture and history rather than just a whole series of moves. And in order to do that, I mean, we, don't, we can't really understand how the dances came about unless we understand the music and the way that the music came about in all these places. So we try to um, teach all of them as a whole and have different different aspects so people can go out and explore. And mostly we want to try to connect people who love and dance these dances to get them to go back out to see our local musicians and dance them in the bars and the various places that the music is being played so they really get an idea of what we're doing. It's, it's not just a set of moves that you learn and you go to a ballroom and then you, you do it in class and then you go home um, and, and understand that whole energy and maybe get a feel about how these were originally created. Right. So would it be safe to say that there's a lifestyle, there's, there's a culture, there's a tradition, there's an experience lived that goes behind these movements in these particular dances? Oh, yes, absolutely. So now, with, with that being said, and you also mentioned that you, you, you guys look to encourage and inspire those who partake in the program to go out and see these local musicians. Uh, yes. Right. I find that uh, intriguing in such a great way because ultimately uh, it sounds to me, and please elaborate after I, I say this, you're connecting all of the compartments of African-American traditional musics, right? The, the dancing, yes. the life. Please go, could, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? So, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a contentious history as far as the modern group of people who dance. Um, that, that came out of this scene where they decided they wanted to go out and learn these dances. Um, and I'm not going to get too much into that, but really there's there's different camps. There's some people who think that, oh, well, this is just anything we make up to anything, any music, any kind of thing. And then there's another who really tries to um, connect the dances to the music, um, as it should be. But at the same time, there is a tendency sometimes for people to think of it as only historical recreation. Okay. Um, if you're not doing these dances exactly as somebody did it in the 30s, 
then you're not really dancing them at all, which mm. I don't think is true because blues isn't something that's just from a hundred years ago. There's still musicians today playing music. And if you're dancing to the music, then um, the whole culture keeps moving forward. It keeps innovating. There's, there's rules and there's parameters inside it, but it keeps innovating and keeps growing. And I think it's very easy to lose the idea and the connection with people today if you don't, if you don't be part of that. So it's really important. And also it's really important as much as we, we, of course, we pay respects to, you know, the, the originators, but then we also want to make sure we're in order for to keep this thing growing and to keep this thing alive. We have to be supporting people today who are making the music and people who today who are in the hustle and they're out there. And, you know, we have a lot of fantastic musicians here who are just working musicians. They don't ever intend to get on the label. Um, if they do, then it's probably their own label. Um, they don't really want to be, um, I guess, marketing famous. They just love the blues and they want to keep playing it. And I think it's important for people to go out and see that mm. and understand that whole energy and how that innovation happens. Well, yeah, I, first and foremost, I would like to applaud your efforts and your um, acknowledgement that there are blues musicians today. There's a plethora of African-American blues musicians currently, and I'm not talking about the legends that are in their late 70s, early 70s, 80s. I'm, I'm talking about young men for, and women from 16 to 45, 50, or 60 yeah. that are currently performing blues and not partaking in a lot of these highbrow blues festivals so it sounds to me as if you, you you guys acknowledge this fact and work hard to make sure they're acknowledged as well yes i think that for every musician that that headlines a festival or even participates in the festival and for every musician that's recorded there are probably hundreds that are just as good if not better that are never going to be recorded and just because um they don't they're not in some catalog somewhere people think they don't exist, but they do, and they are contributing to the culture. With that being said, I, I want to talk about, especially since a lot of the, the things that I've, I've witnessed you post, uh, a lot of the stances that you've taken, and a lot of the things that it seems like, like myself, there's some frustration uh, that, you're <laughs> see, <laughs> that you're seeing. And I agree with a lot of things you say. So I, I would like to talk about your connection to this. How did you not only become involved, but what was that moment or that thing that made you say, yeah, this is a fight that I have to get into because I identify? Oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a long story. Um, so I'm going to go back. Okay. And I grew up in Thailand, but originally I was, for the first part of my life, I was raised in L.A. And, you know, there's, I mean, in, in L.A., in East L.A. especially, it's, you know, if you are of a certain class, status, race, you know, there were certain neighborhoods you lived in. Right. And so, you know, in, in East L.A. where I was living, um, you know, now it's known pretty much as an Asian neighborhood, but in, in the area... I was, you know, you had Asians, you had Mexicans, and you had black folks. And then, you know, here and there you had scattered different uh, white folks. But that's, that's pretty much the environment which I grew up in. And, you know, when you, when you put people together, uh, we exchange cultures. Um, right. And little, little, little things like um, just food, music, uh, games, like hand clapping games, various different things. Um, and... Uh, and it was really interesting because my parents 
are of the generation that, you, you know, they sort of bought into that whole uh, model minority myth. Like if we keep our heads down and we don't make a fuss and, you know, we'll, we might get some respect. But at the same time, in schools and in my generation, it was a little bit different. And uh, people would make fun of each other all the time for, oh, you don't dress like us, you don't eat our food, you don't do various different things. Um, and the funny thing was, it was always the black kids who, who took in the people who were outcasts from other groups. Mm. You know, the, the, the nerdy white kid who got made fun of and bullied, they took them in. Um, you know, the Asian kids that got picked on, they took them in. <laughs> wow, that's something very interesting that we, we can go totally deep into, but well, I want to stick to your story. But yeah, I definitely understand that. Go ahead. So there, there's a lot of exchange there, um, and hip-hop was a really big part of that, too. And it was very, very refreshing to me, um, just this one aspect of culture. And, you know, going back now to look at it, you know, it's hip-hop's just like the grandchild of the blues. You know, it's, it's just another form of expressing a lot of the similar things. And you, you, that is my T-shirt, you know. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> that is my T-shirt. Yes, go ahead. I um, should send and, you and it was, <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be nice. Um, and uh, it was, for me, it was very refreshing coming from a background where my parents' generation was saying, you know, you don't, you don't express these things and you don't bring these things up and you don't air out your dirty laundry. And if you, if you keep your head down and you don't say anything, things will get better. And, you know, we're seeing that's clearly not the case. Um, we saw, um, like, the, the L.A. riots. Um, and, and it was refreshing to see different avenues where people were able to express that. So from hip hop to um, like B-boys and B-girls, like there were various different ways that we could express that word that was not available to me within my own culture. Mm. So I went to Thailand um, for many years, came back um, in 2001, oh, actually 2000, something, something around that I don't actually remember. Um, and coming back, it was a culture shock. Um, when I was in Thailand, I went to an international school and the standards there were that you assumed everybody coming in was different and that different was a great thing. And it was a thing that you celebrated rather than, you know, the only way I can acknowledge who you are and acknowledge you as a person is by pretending you're all the same. Right. It's not the case. Um, so coming back, it just, it was a lot more comforting, familiar to me to be trying to make connections with people who were different. And, and you know, different from the environment I was in. Uh, it was in South Bay, LA. It's a more affluent area. And there's a lot of Asians living there, but they also had a different culture than the one I grew up with, both in LA and in Thailand, because it was very homogenous. But he's on track to becoming a doctor, some respectable profession. And if uh, families didn't, when you were little, then it was almost impossible to make friends. Right, right. I'd always been very, very musically inclined. Um, I'd always enjoyed dancing. And um, the, this is just stuff I started exploring. So um, I love swing and jazz music. Um, I remember going out several times to hear live bands and going, I wish I could do this. So I started learning Lindy Hop. And then, but there wasn't as much of a blues uh, music scene uh, where I was in Santa Barbara. And then I went, my husband and I moved down to San Diego and I started going out to a lot more live music and just realizing what a great wealth of blues musicians we had here mm. and just going out 
and going to the clubs and going on a regular basis to see musicians and feeling like family because um, the spaces are small and you see the same people come in on a regular basis. You, you chat, you hear stories, you, and, and that, that felt like home to me. You know, the, the, Hey, who are you? Where did you come from? I'm not just asking to try to decide where you belong. Right. I'm asking I want to find out about you. Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I have to intercede because you make a great distinction and a great point at the same time, because majority of the time, especially from a specific class of people and a specific race of people, those questions are never meant to get to know you as a person in your journey. It's really meant to categorize you and know where they're going to place you. That is very important. I want to ask you a question because I think his name is Khan, DJ Khan. Are you familiar with DJ Khan? I am not. Okay, he's derived from Thailand, and he's, at this point, a very big DJ and producer. I met him many years ago in my rap days. He was working with Blase. It was amazing to me because when Blase came back from Thailand, he was just so, uh, I believe the word is enamored, that the, that the culture of hip-hop was so alive and thriving there. Very, very much, yes. There's a lot of similarities between blues and hip-hop, besides the fact that it's the great-grandchild, or we could say the great-great-grandchild if you want to mm -hmm. be generational, but both are musics that were, were pretty much created by lack of resources in the black community. So now you're on this blues scene, you're, you're meeting a plethora of blues musicians, you're getting this wealth of information, you're dancing, mm -hmm. and then... Well, and then, so this is this is where the, the story splits off a little bit. I, I was going out to local swing dance venues, um, Lindy Hop venues, and at one point, they said, oh, yeah, there's a blues room on the side. So I go in, and I'm confused because there's dancing being done, but I don't really understand that the music, for the most part, was maybe one out of every ten songs was a blues song. And then so I'm just a little bit confused, some of the basics, and I'm, I'm just confused. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. Um, there's a lot of things that but I think people get connected, and it feels like people are doing moves, but they're not feeling music. Mm. Um, and then someone goes, no, 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 like there's, there's actually, you know, blues dances. So, um, I got put in some online forums. One of them is where I originally met Damon and chatted with him before I met, uh, actually for a few years before I met him in person. And then they seemed to be interested in actually blues music and the dances that went along with blues music rather than this thing. So you have the same name being used to mean different things. Right. And, and I just, I asked a lot of questions. I was very, very confused. I didn't understand. Some people were saying that, you know, blues, uh, blues dancing is slow, slow dancing, slow music. And I'm thinking, well, you know, most, most bars I go to, it just depends on the energy in the room, right? right. If people have a good time, then the blues music is going to be fast. And, and, you know, if people are looking to slow down a little bit or, you know, hug the person that they came with then the music's going to be slow and, None of that was what I saw in these rooms. So, I mean, I, I started to understand this split I told you before where there's some people who just take a word to mean whatever they want to do. Right. And then there's some people who, who actually care about that. So um, I went to a couple events. Uh, in San Diego, there wasn't really that much, but it's, it's been a long journey. Um, if you talk to Damon, he'll, he'll elaborate more on that. But as far as the, the dance scene as a whole, it, it took probably about five years to convince people that no blues 
is a real thing and it has it has to be connected to blues music probably another five years to convince people that um that the that black history matters and then another five years to start telling people no and there's also multiple different blues dances that went on along to different music in different regions so it's been a process <laughs> and and understand that there's variety and it's not just one thing and it's not a monolith of a culture well again I have to intercede and agree and applaud because, it, because well, yeah, you know, because it's, it's ironic yet disheartening and sad because for, oh boy, since, uh, since some of us was brought here and some of us was already here, we've been treated as one dimensional things for that matter, not even humans, but uh, we've been treated one dimensional. You know, as if there's just one way to be black, and that's really not the case. And and the music is a reflection of that. So I'm really happy that you got, and, and I identify fully because I'm still battling with people who don't want to. I'm beginning to understand some. We're not all, but there's a group of people who do not want to acknowledge what folks like you and I and, and Damon and a group of people are trying to say, because then they would have to admit everything else that <laughs> went along with this, right? But go ahead, continue, yeah, please. Uncomfortable. Right, right. Their comfort <laughs> zone is really discombobulated mm-hmm. because Eric Clapton did not start the blues. Stevie Ray Vaughan did not start the blues. <laughs> yes. And in, in, in my participation of it, I've never felt anything but welcomed as long as I was open to learning. And I think that is an aspect that people miss. Um, when you say blues is black music and blues is black dancing, it doesn't mean that no one else can do it. It just means that you have to acknowledge that the culture. Right. And the people. In order to participate in it, you have to understand that. And you have to care about that. It's not just, you know, some history textbook knowledge that's somewhere in the back of your head and and you you don't acknowledge people and you don't acknowledge people today who are still experiencing that culture and it's and it hasn't changed. Well, I mean, or it, it's just a different form. Right. Well, uh, no, you're kind of right. It, it is a different form, but to a degree, a lot of it has not changed. But that's a, mm-hmm. a podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So now I, I would like to ask you about which should have been an article, but it was a post on, on, on your group page in regards mm-hmm. to color, feminism and society and how that fits into the blues, because it's very important, actually, as you recall. I had a little issue with a book on Memphis Minnie because I don't think black men or women were thinking about sexism or feminism. They were thinking about racism and survivalism. Yes. That post, I guess, was a catalyst to something that you were already feeling and you elaborated rather deeply. And I was really pleased because I thought I was going to get bashed by so many women. <laughs> so please share, share your thoughts on that. I mean, I have, I have things based on what I have personally experienced and obviously, and then I feel like this is unfortunately something that, you know, I've seen you have to say it and, and a lot of people have to say, it, you know, if I say this, it doesn't mean I'm speaking for everybody. Right. <laughs> I'm not speaking for all women. I'm not speaking for all women of color. I'm most definitely not speaking for black women, but I, at the same time, need to acknowledge that there are shared struggles. Yes. And one of them is that 
yes, we may have struggles as women and yes, within our own groups and within our own cultures, we have struggles sometimes with, you know, various levels of acknowledgement. You know, I've heard women, really fantastic women guitarists say that, you know, they, they, they correct people when people say, oh, you play guitar like a man. And it's like, no, no, I play guitar well. Right. For yes. you, that means you're playing like a man. So, of course, there is that. But when it comes to bigger struggles, how the world acknowledges you first, a lot of times, is by your, your color and, uh, and by your class and various other things. You know, obviously, there's, there's relative levels of, of privilege. If you, if you have a little bit more money, sometimes you can get a little bit out of the scrutiny of your color. But you don't get to pick and choose oh, today I'm just going to be a color and a woman. It's right. all together. And when it comes to issues about how people treat, like how society treats people of color and, you know, different, you know, different degrees depending on, you know, oh, is, you know, you are slightly higher <laughs> people that are lower than us or various <laughs> different things. That, that a lot of times becomes the bigger thing. And it's right. not saying that being a man or a woman or having any other thing doesn't matter, but you can't separate them. Right. You, can't, you can't just sort of pick at this thing and say, I need to be acknowledged for, for this without saying that. However, you know, majority of these things come from, come first and foremost from how you see this person by their color before you as, you know, a man or a woman or whatever. Right. Agreed. Agreed. So now, I want to ask you, based on all of these things that you and I did, all of your experiences, what was either the biggest moment or biggest aha moment in this journey of blues dancing and blues people culture? My biggest aha moment? Um, having a concrete... It, well, I mean, there's, there's a few, but um, these all sort of come together as, you know, having a concrete example to, to show people why the culture matters. Um, some of them are just things like, you know, I'll, I'll go out dancing to live music and there's a bunch of people who enjoy the music and a bunch of people who dance. But when you are paying attention to the music and when you're paying attention to the culture and you can look across the room and you're not touching that person. You don't know that person, but you can identify who in the room understands it too, mm. just by how they're moving. And, and there's, there's just that, that amazing moment of connection to a complete stranger saying like, you feel this. And not only that you feel this, you understand something beneath it. It's not just a good rhythm or a beat for you, but you really do feel this. And I can see it by the way you move. I can see it by the way you express yourself. And then having that confirmed when, um, well, here, a local music here calls my friend and I over during a band break and goes like, hey, ladies. And then he turns to me and he said, who taught you to dance like a black girl? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, oh, oh, okay. But... I mean, he's seeing the same thing too, right. right? When you look across the room and seeing like, no, 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 I, by the way, it's not just, it's not just that you've studied history, but by the way you move and by the way you can identify who's in the culture with you. Mm. And that's, that's the biggest, that's been the biggest one for me. Mm. Okay. I, I dig that. So now outside of the feel, right? Because the feel 
dictates the move. Outside of that, what what is the biggest thing you learned on this journey? And I, I guess in regards to blues, blues people, or even just in regards to your person and personal experience? Um, biggest thing I learned is let people tell their stories. Let, let people self-disclose. Especially when I'm trying to learn, sometimes... The, the way that people do academic research is, well, people have to use the same terms to ensure that we're talking about the same things, but culture, people don't work like that. You can have the same word in multiple different parts of the country mean different things because people aren't thinking about the context of the country. They're thinking about the context of their micro cultures, their, the cultures within their own community right. as well. And not being so quick to jump in, correct, or, or categorize until you've heard the whole story. Then you, and then that's when you realize that um, these things might sound different, but they don't contradict. They're just multiple faces of the same story. And, and that's been my case when I talk to people and I try to hear about, you know, yes, I've read about these, some of these dances and I do some of them. But I also want to hear it from people who grew up dancing it, who they may or may not have had a name for the dances. But a lot of times there was still a common term. And, and after, after talking to enough people, after hearing enough stories, understanding, okay, so there's, there's common things in, in all of them and, and getting a fuller picture every single time. So, yeah, the biggest thing is just letting, letting people tell their stories. And then maybe if I talk to them a third or fourth time, they'll tell their story a little bit differently and I'll get a little bit more information. And I think that's valuable because um, there's a lot of people, just like the musicians, there's a lot of people who they never recorded anything. Um, they might not even be musicians, but they did grow up dancing and you're not going to hear these stories. You're never going to see it written in a history book somewhere. So this is pretty much a life experience. Yes. I dig it, and I agree wholeheartedly to the point where I find it humorous, and I, I poke fun at it, that majority of these enthusiasts and intellectuals are, quote-unquote, white men arguing about which white man can tell a black person's story better, and I find that very humorous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and just for the record, I believe you know this, and majority of my audience knows it, but I never cease to try to say this. I believe, like you, everyone should tell their, their own story. Every culture should have a bearer tell their story. So this is not biased. I'm not just saying this because of what I believe for my culture. I, I think everybody should as well. And I think that's where we have an issue, not me and you, but with what we're discussing because I think there's a group of people who don't believe that the people of the cultural tradition is suited enough to tell their own story. But now, along with that, I, I want to ask you, so feeling, right, music, how much of the life of the people that we're doing these dances um, plays a part in it? That's one, because one thing that I think a lot of people overlook, not intentionally, but and you touched on it. Well, actually, you didn't touch on it. You made a direct statement. Cultural vernacular is different in many regions of the United States, even between black people, right? You just said it. We could be saying the same words, but it could mean different things from the Northeast to the South, period, the entire South, mm -hmm. right? So now, with that being said, one, how much of the lifestyle of the people matter? How do you go about deciphering 
these terminologies or or name of dances or, or whatever to to be able to put this together and see, okay, so this means this, and that means that, and this is the same. How do you go about that? Well, I mean, there are certain things that are, are very obvious if you think about it. Certain dances that you're, they're danced real close. And if you go back farther enough, you're, I mean, you don't even necessarily have to look at what the people were doing at some point. If you just think about, okay, these dances were danced to this kind of music. This music was typically played in very crowded juke joints. So it makes sense that you dance these dances really close because you didn't have the space to do certain things. But those things are a little bit more obvious and then we know. There are other things that we don't know and really we just, you know, just hearing enough people tell stories. Okay, you know, when did you do that? Oh, well, you know, I, I learned because, you know, my, my parents all learned and they had you know, these parties and they would dance in their living rooms and, you know, and then I, I would make sure to try to absorb as much as I can because they tell me it was time to go to bed. And after I go to, after the kids go to bed is when they would have their parties and I would just watch mm-hmm. and try to learn as much as possible and crawl back to my room and, and, and remember as much as I can and practice by myself. So little, little pieces like that. Um, there were places where, you know, the church influence was very prominent and, um, you know, depending on where it was, sometimes churches acknowledged the blues and other times churches, you know, thought blues was, you know, not, not proper music. Right. So, but when it came to people, you know, you could attend the church and also play and sing and dance the blues. <laughs> really, when it comes down to deciphering it, I've tried to gather as many stories as possible from, you know, particular areas, particular regions, but also, you know, different time periods. That's going to change, right? right. Um, if you have... Um, people who are of uh, an older generation, then their experience is going to be different from a younger generation where, you know, for them, it might be just family music. Right. right. It's not, and then for other people, I'm like, no, this is club music. Like now, now we had a venue to go to versus, you know, living room, your backyard, your front porch, your, you know, it's, it's what we played when people came over. Um, so it's like understanding that that these things are different and then finding the common threads of them and saying like, OK, this is what we do know. And instead of trying to discard everything, just say this is the pool of information we have that we haven't sorted through yet. It doesn't mean it's bad just because there's no common theme in it. It just means it's, it's just different pieces. I dig it. And what you guys do is put those pieces together. Well, this is mostly my personal project in my, my organization. I'm trying to get people to to learn the dances and to go out to live music. But my personal project, I'm trying to collect as much information and try to create more opportunities for people I do know that I have access to who are still alive to be able to tell their stories. And, and sometimes I get opportunities to do that. Um, I'll, I'll make a recording or I'll invite someone to come talk at one of our workshops and let people hear that. And understanding also that I'm not going to catch everything, right? So if I, if I can put someone to tell their own story in front of a large group of people, collectively we might have different pieces of information that we've managed to, to absorb and we're all going to actually have a better picture of what's going on with each person we listen to. Dig it. Now, how much of this in your studies, research, and talking to people connected back to the plantation and corn bucking and buck dancing and things of this nature? As far as buck dancing is the, the closest thing I've come to because um, we do have a couple friends who are in the Piedmont area, and, um, and one of them actually... Uh, is, is a musician there who, who came in to dancing re, uh, in the last two, two and a half years, I believe. Um, I have 
haven't talked to him as much, but I have talked to others who, um, and, and they'll tell you things which some people would be offended by. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why, because it's, it's just the truth. It's just history. And some of it will, some of them will tell you like, well, you know, really the only difference between the black dances and the white dances in this region is just, you know, whether you were dancing to, to blues or bluegrass. Right. <laughs> and, and then being able to talk to people who've researched dance who go further back and say, well, yes, that makes sense because you had, you know, poor Irish folks and, and then poor black folks in the same area. And there's going to have a lot of cross cultural sharing and, um, and then, you know, combining things like your buck dancing with some of the rhythms from like jigs and reels and putting those rhythms together. And then you get a little bit of the ragtime rhythm within the blues came in later and, and, and just having, having a lot of this mixed together or, you know, things like that we now, um, and by we, I mean, sort of the American culture in general thinks of as white music when, you know, when it started, it really wasn't that clear. So mm. things like say Contra or like square dancing, it's like, well, you know, if, if I go back far enough um, and hear people talking, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we used to square dance and we used to have people calling the moves and, and we'd go, to, you know, and, and, and understanding that when you get far back enough, when you get to dances of the people, the people dance them. <laughs> and if you were in the same area, it didn't matter that, oh, this, they didn't strictly, and, and if you were poor enough, you didn't necessarily strictly delineate. And then, but for, for some other ones, um, I, I haven't been able to get the closest I've been, for people I've been able to talk to, no information necessarily from the plantations. Most of that has been people telling me like, oh, I heard my grandfather mention this or that once, but I have uh, heard a lot of stories that involved sharecropping or, you know, getting the hell out of Texas during the Dust Bowl. Right, right. And things like that. Okay. I appreciate everything you do. And we'll keep this dialogue open as you guys, yourself personally and your organization, produce new programs and workshops. Mm -hmm. And I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Please tell them where they could find you and your organization. <laughs> okay. Um, our website is bluenotesd.com. And you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, under the same thing, Blue Note SD. Now, this is a national organization, right? You're, you guys are more than just San Diego. You're in New York. And where other places are you located? No, no, no. This is, this is just San Diego. Um, the, the people I know in New York and Oakland and elsewhere, those, those are just other dancers I know. Um, this, this organization is just San Diego, and this is just my, mine and my husband's project um, with uh, friends who help out. Um, but we know, we know dancers and we know people who have been independently, um, doing a lot of research and digging in and teaching people and, you know, spreading the news about music and culture all over the country. So we try to plug a lot of different people elsewhere as well. Strength in numbers, as they say. Mm -hmm. I do want to, uh, plug as well, um, a, a project that has been starting up, um, with several of people from all over the country, it's called the Blues Geek Foundation. Okay. And there's several aspects of it. Um, and you can find them on Facebook and our website will be forthcoming. Um, but the, the purpose of that is to try to be a, a advisory organization 
for a lot of these smaller groups around the country and to be able to share resources that maybe some groups have been able to access and other groups don't even know about. So including any research that we've done, um, interviews, recordings, videos, um, as well as uh, a very important project is starting a scholarship fund. So when people want to be able to go to various different events to learn about the music or the dances or the culture, um, and it's, uh, especially people of color, then they would be able to do that. So, that's that's very important. That's very important and needed. I hope you guys uh, got your pen and papers out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's great. When that's all up and everything, shoot me the link and I'll shoot it to the folks. Yes, I'll do that. All right, well, it was great talking to you, Elizabeth. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And this is Jack Dapper Blues Podcast. Hopefully you heard it here first, and if you have not heard it here first, it was confirmed right here. Jack Dapper Blues Public Media is a listener-supported platform. For more information on funding, underwriting, and sponsorship opportunities, please email Lamont Jack Pearly at racefilmmusic.com or Denise Pearly at racefilmmusic.com. All rights reserved to Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Foundation.